So good. Uh, this, this is just what I'm just thinking as we're landing the plane of worship tonight, but uh, it's, it's just not secondary to anything. I, I, don't want it, I don't want you to ever look at worship as warming us up for the speaker because that's not what it is. It's not to get you ready for the word. That's not what worship is about. It is not to prepare people for the word. That's not what it's for. It's to worship Jesus. It's to honor him. I think it was St. Gregory of Nyssa said that the house of the Lord has to remain, must remain doxological. What does that mean? Is it that we gather to worship? We gather to worship. That's what we do. And, and I, and I, I, I want to just, in love, challenge you a little bit. Because if, if you have thoughts of like, well, this isn't really my style, or I don't really like these songs, I would say that's a maturity issue. No matter what age you are, it's a maturity issue because it's not about you. It's not about what your favorite songs or your favorite singer or, or whether you like the lights up or down or any of those things like that. It's, it's about him. It's about him. And so we come in this place to honor him. And as we sing these songs out, it may not be your favorite song. That's okay. Right? And, even, and, and I would just say like, that what more of a sacrifice is it if you can stand in a place where like, I think it's too loud, my legs hurt, we stand too long, I don't like the song, or whatever, and you can still say, Lord, I honor you. I lift up my hands, right? Man, it, then it's a sacrifice. Like, sometimes it's not, some, like, sometimes to me, I'm like, man, I, I, I really loved that and got caught up in it and whatever, and it didn't really seem like a sacrifice because it didn't really seem like it cost me anything. But man, if it, when it starts to cost you something, I think that's what really moves the heart of the Lord. So, anyway, amen. Let's all mature to a place where we can worship in any setting, right? You know, I, I said a few weeks ago, man, I, as much as I dance and cry and shout his name in here, I've done it in, in little Methodist churches where we sang out of hymns and there was no music and tears rolled down my face because it's not about the style, right? So, and uh, a lady told us one time that we were being inconsiderate of people. I'm like, you're right. Mm. <laughs> We did not consider you at all. God bless you. <laughs> right? And that may rub you the wrong way. That may, whatever. But, it, but I just want to challenge the way that you think. Like repentance is a changing the way that we think. And so what is worship all about? It's all about him. It's not about us. Okay. God bless you with that. Okay. Let's, uh, let's dive into the word tonight. If my computer will come on. If not, I'll just shoot from the hip the whole time. Here we go. Um, we're... we're Coming to a close, we've got a couple weeks left of the, this Names of God series, which I love the names of God. I love the names of God, um, the whole series that we've done, every single name, and there's countless more names. Um, I, but as we've been studying this, I, I came across Psalms 910, Psalms 910, and this really just hits it home for me. It says, those who know your name, Lord, trust in you. Those who know your name, trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Those who seek you, I love that. Those who know your name, trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Do we trust in his name? Do we trust that he's Adonai? Do we trust that he's Elohim? Do we trust that he's Rofi? Do we trust that he's Jireh? Do we trust these things that he says about us, right? It's so cool that God has all of these names because he is like, he's past finding out. Like we're gonna learn about him forever. 
because he's God. Like the reason that my name is just Josh is because I'm just a simple man and there's not a whole lot of, a whole lot of things that you can say to describe me. But why does God have so many names? It's because so many things describe him and he's just trying to give us language to try to eat with our, 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 our <clears throat> limited capacity to understand things to kind of put language to it, right? And it's like, cause he's an ocean and like our tiny brains are just like a cup. Like that's, he's that vast. And so I love the names of God cause it says I learned these characteristics about him and they're not just characteristics about him, they are him. That's what's cool is that he's not, he's not just a provider, he's the provider. He's just not a healer, he's the healer. Come on, I'm excited. Um, and, and so I want to look at this name tonight uh, in the book of Genesis, we actually see one of the more well-known names of God. It's El Shaddai that I'm going to be talking about tonight. And simply that means the Lord God Almighty. Uh, now, now, many of you and have probably, I, I think this name really got popular in the 80s with Amy Grant's song, El Shaddai. Um, I, I'm, I was born in 89, about to turn 34. I was born in 89. And, uh, and, but I heard this song a lot because my mom grew up in the eighties. And so we listened to Amy Grant, uh, quite a bit. So, um, in between Garth Brooks songs, it was Amy Grant songs, but <laughs> anyway, we, <laughs> this, we heard this uh, rendition of El Shaddai and it was a very, very, very popular song. And the reason why is because it's so powerful. It's such a powerful name to declare about our God. Um, and as you get into this, El meaning God and Shaddai meaning the Almighty, or what we're also going to look at tonight is it's in, in, inside of the Almighty, it means the All-Sufficient One. He's the Almighty, the All-Powerful, and the All-Sufficient One. It's, it's used quite a few times in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Shaddai is actually used like 40-something times in the book of Job uh, alone. Uh, when, when God comes and talks to Moses and, and he kind of gives this, this narrative that we have in Moses uh, uh, with the Lord talking to him and him saying that he's Yahweh, uh, one thing that he says to him in Exodus chapter six, verse three, he says to Moses, I, Moses, I introduced myself as El Shaddai to your ancestors. I introduced myself as El, El Shaddai to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I think that's kind of neat that he makes that distinction of, hey, this is who I told your ancestors who I was. I'm El Shaddai, that that is a way, one of the first ways that we see God names himself, not a name given to him. Some of these names are given to him by his people through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but God shows up to Abraham, we're going to see here in a second, and says, I am El Shaddai. So turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17, just flip open your Bible and take a hard left and stop whenever you get to chapter 17. We're going to read verse verses uh, one and two to start here. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully. A lot of translations say, walk with me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Countless descendants. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and live a blameless life life. So God introduces himself here to Abraham, to Abram as El Shaddai, the Almighty. And this is no small thing that he's introducing himself this way, because a few chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12, 25 years before this at 75, he gives Abraham and Abram and Sarai the promise that they are going to have a child. So at 75, 
He gets the promise he's going to have a child. Here we are 24, 25 years later. Abraham's about 99, 100 years old. It says 99 here, about to turn 100 years old. So you're looking at about 25 years later, and they've become very old, and guess what they still don't have? A child. And God made the promise that he was going to give them the child, but they still haven't. They even tried to work it out on their own, right? You've got Sarah who says, go sleep with my servant Hagar. And they had a child that way, which we saw how that turned out. It didn't work out very well. Still not working out very well. We're still seeing consequences of that today. Um, didn't work out very well. What they did, though, is they tried to take the Almighty, the all-sufficient one's promise into their own hands. They tried to make it happen in their own time. And there's nothing, there's nothing, other, there's nothing that we can do to inherit God's promises except for resting in the fact that he's go- he is the sovereign one who's going to make them happen. We don't make his promises happen. I, I'll say the way that we, make, the way that we see his promises happen, because it says his promises are, are yes and our amen, is that we come into agreement with what his promise is. That's a word for another time. But they try to do it their own way. They try to do it in their own timing. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's hard for us uh, oftentimes to comprehend God's timeline because he just does not see time the same way that we do. He's outside of it. It's hard for us to even use language that doesn't involve time. Even our words are centered around time. And it's really hard for us to, to die to a clock, especially in a culture that is, uh, that is very um, industrial, right? Industrious, where they, 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 we work to achieve things, right? We want to we wanna work, 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 uh, uh, produce, 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 produce. And so when we hear something from God, it's like, okay, well, I got to get to work. And it's not always that way. It's not necessarily that you get to work to make God's promises happen. We live like in a very like microwave, like fast food type culture too. And so, you know, we live in the Chick-fil-A culture where if it takes longer than a couple minutes, like I'm out, right? It's like Chick-fil-A has spoiled all of you. Right? You get mad at McDonald's. Don't be mad at McDonald's. Be mad at Chick-fil-A. Right? They, they've spoiled you. They're like that parent that's too good to their kid and gives them everything they want. Right? I'm just kidding. But <laughs> we, we, we live in that, that, that fast food culture. Um, I love Amazon Prime. Anybody? I, you can order something and it can be on your porch like the next day or two. Right? If it goes past two days, I'm like, where's it at, Amazon. Like, come on, okay? And so we live in that, but God works on seed time and harvest. He's not a microwave. <laughs> he, he's often, and God is oftentimes working things through generations of people. I think it's amazing that God comes and promises Abraham a son and then promises things to that son. And so there's oftentimes where it's like, there are promises in your life. Many times God promises in your life should outlive you, Right? He works on a completely different timetable. <laughs> you know, in, in Revelation, Jesus said he was coming quickly. It's been 2,000 years. Coming quickly. It's been a minute, right? But if God, right, but if a thousand days is under the Lord, then we're like on day two, right? We're not even on day two and a half yet. And so like his time doesn't work the way that, that and, and, and I grew up in the culture too, where I just thought like Jesus was coming back to rapture us any moment, right? It was just like, I, was, I grew up terrified that I was, I think I got saved every day because I thought I was gonna miss the rapture. And if I had one negative thought, I needed to get saved again, right? I remember walking to the house being a little kid and like call, hey mom, and not hearing anything and be like, mom, 
right? And just terrified that I got left behind. You know, I wasn't calling dad's name because he wouldn't have gone. He would still be there. So, but, but mom was going, and if I didn't know her, so, you know, goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm being funny, but we do, we've got to understand that God, he doesn't see time the same way that we do, and we've got to trust in his timing. And God makes us wait because he wants us to grow up. God makes us wait because he wants us to mature right? Delayed gratification is one thing that causes you to grow up more than anything else, is you've got to learn to delay gratification. If one thing, if anything that our, our nation, the next generation for sure, like need, needs to learn is delayed gratification. Boy, I wish our government would learn delayed gratification, right? We've got to have everything right now, and we've got to sign a $2 trillion bill to make it happen. And it's like, whoa, hold up, like what? Like, no, 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 that's why everybody's in debt. Our government's in debt, everybody's in debt because we can't delay gratification. We want everything now. I've got to have it now. I've got to have it now. I've got to have it now. And it's like, just slow down a little bit. Take it, take it easy. We're often right here waiting just like Abraham and Sarah. Like, God, you're taking too long to fix my marriage, to fix my mate, to, to find my job, to change my child. You're, you're taking too long. And so many times we can even feel abandoned by him but that's why he comes to, to Abraham and says, listen, bro. Well, he didn't say that, but that's Josh's translation. And he comes to Abraham and says, I'm El Shaddai. I am the almighty. I'm the all-sufficient one. I'm the one that's going to make this happen. And so I want to just encourage you, challenge you here. Don't settle for something inferior because it's taken too long. Don't settle for something inferior because it's taken too long. Well, I thought I would be married by now. I thought I would have the paycheck by now. I thought I would get the promotion right now. I thought I would have the ministry right now. I would have, thought I would have the influence. I thought I would have the fill in the blank of whatever it is because we've all been waiting on something before and thought God was taking too long. Don't settle for something inferior because you believe that it's taking too long. Don't sell out for less than what God has for you just because you don't see it right away. God told Abram at 75 that he was gonna have a child, which that in itself at 75 years old, that seems crazy. And then coming back at 99, hello? I don't know a lot of ladies who have had babies at 75. None, actually. And then at 99, like, that's crazy. That's, that's insane, but it's, it, it's possible. And God loves to do those things. He wants, God gives us dreams and promises that, like, we can't possibly make happen on our own. So why even, why try to make it happen on your own? He's the one that's going to fulfill it. Abraham and Sarah, obviously, they could, they were facing a problem they couldn't solve. It, like, it can't happen. But God loves when we face impossible things because that shows that he's God, that he's El Shaddai. He's the creator. He's the one that creates something out of nothing. He's the one that sustains life. He will, he can, he does work it out. In verses four, four and five of, actually, let's go back to verse three. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I'd be like, hello, I don't even have one kid, dude. And I'm 99 years old. Are you serious? Like I'm, huh? Run, run that back by me. <laughs> Verse five, he says, what's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations. This is cool, just a side note here. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just think this is amazing because God, and I want you to know, God always gets back what's his. He always gets back what his. When Noah 
when Noah had issue with his son, Ham, he woke up and he said, curse be on Canaan, because Canaan was Ham's son, so he cursed the next generation. Canaan was a man that became a land, the land of Canaan, right? The land of Canaan was actually many separate little nation states in this place that Israel, that became Israel, right? The, the guy that God calls to Canaan is interesting. He calls a guy to Canaan, the only cursed land on the earth, Canaan, a, man, a cursed man that became a cursed land. God calls Abram, sends him in, and what does he rename Abram? He renames him Abraham. Who was Canaan's dad? Ham. Right? Isn't that pretty? That's really cool. I think it's neat. You may, I, I don't know. I'm a nerd like that. But anyway, um, <laughs> Abraham, I think that's really awesome. Um, a couple things that I want us to see here is that God is in the business of changing names. He's in the business of changing names. What does that mean to you? He's in the business of transforming lives. He's in the business of transforming lives. He changes Abram's name to Abraham. From father, Abram meant father, to Abraham and called him the father of many nations. From Sarai, meaning princess, to Sarah, meaning mother of many nations. He changed their names, listen, before they had kids. And God is going to, and that's what produces transformation is God comes to you and he calls you something that you are not. And when you begin to believe what he calls you, that's when you begin to inherit the promise. You hear me? Chloe talked about righteousness last week. When you begin to believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, guess what begins to fall off of you? Sin, bondage, those things, because you live from a place of identity. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So God changes your name, not because you earned it, but because he's God and he makes dead things alive. Okay? <laughs> he changed it. How many, and how many names did he change in the Bible? It's actually crazy. He's in the business of changing names. I, he changed uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, to Israel. I want you to understand today, don't find your identity in your circumstances. Don't find your identity in your job. Don't find your identity in what others say. Don't find your identity in what, what, you've, what you do or what you've done. Like ultimately your identity is Christ. Your identity is in Jesus. I hope you don't see yourself as a contractor, as a roofer, as a plumber, as a teacher, as a principal, as a fill in the blank of whatever you do. You're not what you do. You're who he says you are. Because if you are what you do, if that gets taken from you, you're gonna have a mental breakdown. You're gonna have an identity crisis. I, I am, I, vocationally, I am a pastor, but ultimately I am his. That's what defines me. That's what defines me is I am his. Don't be identified by your past. Like, yet yeah, you've blown it royally. Don't stop and settle because of your mistakes. Abram had blown it big time, a few times by this point. Don't stop and settle because of your mistakes. Don't let the divorce define you. Don't let the affair define you. Don't let the, the bankruptcy find you. Don't let the struggle with pornography or alcohol or drug use, any of those, don't let those things define you. I meet so many people that they're still defined by something they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, where it's, it is holding them back from being all that God has called them to be. A man, Tim's sermon on Sunday was so good it was, it was fire. It was so good. And really, I just feel like it was part two of what Chloe talked about. Because he, he talked about Saul to Paul. Saul refused to let his past define him. 
refused to let the good things about his past define him and refused to let the bad things about his past define him. What did he let define him? Just God, just Christ, just Jesus. God still has a calling on your life. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. God calls, he always calls us by the potential that he sees in us, not the potential that we see in ourselves. He calls us by the potential that he sees in us. Jesus renamed Simon, which meant pebble, to Petra or Peter, meaning rock. And he did that a long time before Peter was stable and emotionally mature. I read the gospels and I get mad at Peter. I'm like, Peter, shut up. Stop talking. Every time you open your mouth, like it's dumb. Just don't say anything, bro, right? The one time he said the good thing was in Matthew 16, right? When he said, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Like, great. That's where he renames him to Petra. A few verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan, right? It's because he opened his big mouth, right? <laughs> but I love that he calls him Peter way before he was mature and stable because he was calling out what he saw in Peter. God in his goodness calls us what he wants us to become, who he believes that we are. So the spirit of religion will always call us out by our sin, call us out by our issues, but God calls us his children. God calls us his children. When, I'm, when, when the Holy Spirit came and grabbed me, many of you know a lot about my testimony, but when he grabbed me in the back of a barbecue restaurant, he wrapped his arms around me and he called me son. I didn't feel condemnation in that moment. I didn't feel guilt. I didn't feel shame. And I should have. Like I was a goob, a big old goob. Just dumb, just sinful, just selfish. Self, 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 self. And the Holy Spirit came and convicted me and wrapped his arms around me. And it was just like a prodigal son moment because I didn't hear, I want you to sit there and think about what you did for five years and then you can do ministry. He came and wrapped his arms around me and called me son. It's awesome. In his goodness, he renames us. He gives us real beloved identity. And that's the only thing that, change, that brings true transformation. He changes our name to our true identity. The other thing I want us to see here is that God's covenant is always bigger than us. I touched on this a little bit while ago, but this covenant that God made with Abraham is an unconditional promise that God made with him, a promise that he was going to keep. Abraham could do nothing because this was an impossible situation. He just said, not the father of one child, but the father of many nations. And I want us to know, church, tonight that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. That he always wants to bless the next generation through us. His promises are never selfish. They're never just for me and you. They're never just about us. They're always about bringing his kingdom into the world to bless the next generation, to raise up the next generation. And it's so crazy because, again, we like, we, we, it's so hard oftentimes for us to see like long-term, like far into the future. Because Abraham only saw one kid. He only saw Isaac. But you go to Hebrews 11 and it was by faith that through Isaac, Abraham saw himself coming the the, becoming the father of many nations. The father of many nations with one kid. I think about my own sons and I think about what God's going to accomplish in them. And I really believe that many promises that I have heard from the Lord or even heard other, when other people have prophesied to me about things in my life or on my life, 
I am always not just thinking about me, but thinking about them. Because I, I really believe that as, like as a church, and for parents in here too, but also as a church ministry, is like we're building, some, we're, like we want to build something, like, and then they build on top of that ceiling. Like they continue it on. They take this thing farther than we could have ever dreamed. And we get to celebrate them, not look at jealousy at them. Man, I hope I get to follow my sons in ministry one day. I've had dreams about following them on the mission field. I've had dreams about watching them preach. One of my favorite things in the world is whenever they worship. I love watching them worship. They don't always do it because they're little boys, you know. But man, when people send me videos of Micah worshiping in kids' church, like, jeez, I just become a puddle. It's all about the next generation. It's not about us. It's about them. It's about raising them up. And man, that's just the, it's making disciples of all nations. It's just the multiplication that God has designed. So you may say like, well, I don't have any kids. Well, yeah, like, but you are a disciple maker. Not me. I'm not the professional disciple maker for you. We're all disciple makers. Every single person in here that's a believer is that you're called to make disciples. Well, I don't feel qualified. Can I show you this book where there's a lot of people not qualified that God used, right? You've got something in you that God wants to deposit into the next generation. Come on. I love watching Miss Hetty. 93 years old. After church, guess who she's going to be talking to? Young people. She's going to go and grab them, right? And talking to them and pouring into their lives. Like, she's not too old. She's still here. She's still got breath in her lungs. And she's going to be making disciples until she goes to be with Jesus, as we all should. Come on. Amen. Glory. (laughs) God's covenant always involves the next generation. And I love that our church, that that's just like on the forefront of everything that we do about the next generation. We're looking at El Shaddai tonight. Psalms 91 says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him, I will trust. El Shaddai, what I love about El Shaddai is because it means Almighty, it means fortress, it means the mountain mover, it means the one who can bring the promise about, but it also, El Shaddai also means this. (laughs) Now, this is tricky. I had to teach this to junior high boys last week. El Shaddai, one of the meanings for it is the multi-breasted one, which is wild, right? That's so crazy. And in a sense, in Isaiah 66 says, rejoice with Jerusalem, be glad for her, all who love her, rejoice greatly with her, all who mourn over her, for you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breast. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. Shad is breast. It's used to signify the supply of nourishment. When a woman nurses her baby, she supplies what the baby needs to live, right? Good luck teaching that to junior high boys, okay? That was, that was tough, but I, I did it. And it went really well and it went awesome. Um, and they got something out of it. It was awesome. But, uh, the, what I, but what I talked about with them and I'll talk about you tonight is like uh, when a baby is born, uh, and this is how I, this is the PG version I did with them. But when a baby is born, who feeds it? The mom. 
Can the baby live on its own without the mom? No, it has to receive nourishment. It has to be fed. And God is showing us here that we are like newborn children that are nourished by him. That we can only live if we live in, close to him. Right? For a mom to nourish her baby, she has to bring it in close. And so this is the, the picture that God is giving us is I am the almighty one. I am the protector. I am the mighty fortress. I am the mountain mover, but I'm also tender and I'm kind and I want to bring you in close and I want to supply you and, and be the all-sufficient one bringing you everything that you need. And that's what he's telling Moses here is I'm going to make this promise happen, but Moses, you've got to draw near I'm not Moses, Abraham, you've got to draw near to me and get what you need from me. It's all about closeness. It's all about us living in closeness. We're to draw close to El Shaddai to receive his nourishment. And I told him this too, is like, can a baby just eat one time and then he's good? No, that baby has to eat constantly, right? And, and everybody that's ever had babies in here, it's like, golly, like around the clock, do they do anything but eat and poop and eat and poop and eat and poop? It's like, no right? The same thing with us is like we are nourished by him and guess what we do? We leak because God is jealous for us and he wants us to live in that abiding relationship with him all the days of our life we live abiding close to him. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's El Shaddai. We abide in him. We're nourished by him. And guess what? When we live in that close secret place, you ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be done for you. Because when we live nourished and supplied by him, guess what? My desires are his desires. And so what I ask for, he will do because it's his purpose that he wants to bring into the earth. This is good right here. I love this. Come on. It's all about closeness. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. This is a continual feeling. We need Him every day as much as possible. We're designed to live in communion with Him. And, like, and, and, and don't think like, oh yeah, I know that. It's like, no, like that's the whole point is to live in communion with Him. When you're driving to work, when you're driving home, when you're in your office, when you're walking, when you're with your kids, when you're with your friends, when you're, when you're wherever you're at, that you're living, you're always aware he's with me, he's in me. I'm talking to him like I talk to a friend, man. We have that same access that Moses had where it said he talked to Moses like a friend talks to one face to face. And actually, there is no Hebrew word for presence. The Hebrew word that we translate in the Old Testament from presence means face to face. Come on, face to face. When you don't eat, when you don't drink, you get hangry, right? You need a Snickers, right? Anybody ever, I'm, I'm gonna fast today and then you make it like halfway through breakfast, right? And it's like, you're right. Every, mo every time I try to fast, somebody brings donuts to work today, right? Every time I try to fast, somebody's like, hey, let me take you to lunch. Like every time, like without, like, right? And it's so, like, and, and we, we so, but, but I want you to see that, that, uh, it's the same thing with our spiritual life. It's like we, we're gonna, we're like gonna turn back, we're gonna flesh out, we're gonna turn back into ourselves when we're not nourished by him. You're also gonna get tired, you're gonna get worn down and you're, and you're gonna, not that you're don't believe in him, but you're gonna be full of unbelief because you're not full of him. 
That's what happens to us when we don't abide, when we don't live in his presence, is we, we, begin, to get, we begin to become like us again. And us is ugly, but he's beautiful, right? In Psalm 1611, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. So how can you live face to face with him and be angry all the time and be full of anxiety all the time and be full of fear all the time? You can't, man. You live face to face with him and you feel awesome all the time because he's amazing, right? And then Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8, 10, I think says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Are you tired? Are you worn down? Do you feel beat up? Do you feel angry? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel fearful about what's gonna happen or what's gonna go on or what's happening with my health or what's happening in our nation or what's happening this next in a row, whatever? You need to be in presence of El Shaddai and let him nourish you because those thoughts are not from him. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and the joy of the Lord is my strength. You need to draw near. You need to come close. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, come to me, all who are burdened, who labor, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One thing I tell our every time at High Point every year, I tell them when you're going to go home, somebody's going to tell you you're just on a camp high and it'll fade in two weeks. And I said, that's not true. That's a lie. Why does it have to fade? Is God inconsistent in who he is? No, we are inconsistent in who we are. He's not inconsistent in who he is. Why are they on a camp high? It's because they've been living in the presence of God for a week straight. I've been high going on. That sounds bad. Jesus high. No high like the most high, right? Glory. Kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, matter of power. Since I was 19 years old. The times that I have felt like I have come down off of that high, guess whose fault it was? This guy right here. Why? Because I haven't been abiding. I haven't been stewarding my relationship with him. My wife and I, we talk all the time. We, I constantly, look, I texted her the other night, she went to the gym and I texted her and I said, I cannot believe life is this amazing. I cannot believe it's this good. It feels like heaven. Is everything in our life perfect? No. Welcome to earth. Right? Is everything in our life perfect? No, I live around people. Right? I have to work with Paul. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm kidding. Paul's amazing. But me and Paul and Tim all the time talk about, like, I can't believe that we get to do this. I can't believe that this is what we do. This is amazing. This is absolutely incredible. It's like, man, it feels like heaven all the time. Why? Because we are stewarding our relationship with him. With him. And when I get full of anxiety and get full of fear and get full of depression and get full of anger and get full of whatever, it's because I haven't been stewarding. I haven't been abiding. Because when I abide, he makes me like him. You need to hang out with El Shaddai. He's really good. He's really good. He's better than we think. He's better than we think. There is more joy available to you tonight than you think is possible. There is more peace available to you tonight than you think is possible. Easy for you to say, Josh. 
Can I introduce you to El Shaddai? I'm going to read this to you. Do you believe this Bible or do you not? Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 18, and you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask Think or imagine glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Come on. I believe that. I read the Bible and I go, man, that's possible. Come on, somebody. He can accomplish more than it, than what I can dream, than what I can think, than what I can imagine. Yes, because he is El Shaddai. Before you leave tonight, I want you, like you may be in an impossible situation. You may know God, you may love God, but you may need an encounter with El Shaddai the all-sufficient one who supplies, the almighty one who supplies all of our needs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who recognize their neediness for him. Can you take that place of I'm a newborn baby, right, who needs nourishment, that we constantly live in that place. We don't graduate from that place. Christians, I fully believe, should walk around. They should walk around with joy. They should walk around with peace. They should walk around with love, so much so that people notice it. So much so that people notice it. Listen, in Hot Springs, because we live in Hot Springs, people, you should run into people and they should say, oh, like you have such great energy about you right? Just because hot springs and crystals and all kind of stuff. You have great energy and you just look at them and go, you have no idea. <laughs> right? You have no idea because it's the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. But we should walk around. There, there, I, growing up, there were times that I would see a family or I would see like a kid with their dad and I would have the thoughts like, man, I wish I was in that family. I wish I had their dad. I wish I had their mom. I wish I had that life. I'm convinced that God intended for his children to live that way, that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be salt and light, and people would look at us and they would see the goodness of God, that no matter the storms that are going on around us, no matter what circumstances that are going on, Paul and Silas were in prison and they were singing with joy to Jesus, and because they were so free on the inside, the freedom manifested on the outside and those shackles broke off of them. Come on, this is good news. God. It's like he's too good to be true. It's, he's amazing. He's, he's unreal. El Shaddai, he's got so much joy and so much peace and so much love that he wants to fill your life with and so much power that he wants to fill your life with. But you gotta draw near. You gotta abide in the shadow of the Most High and El Shaddai. Did y'all get something out of this tonight? Stand with me. I went long tonight because I was letting Sydney and Jason do their thing in youth group and they said they needed more time and I just said, you got it. I will hold them long. Now, some of y'all are spoiled because Chloe's been letting y'all out early. 
I'm just kidding. She's ama- she isn't Chloe amazing? She's awesome. My goodness. And her husband, Hunter, if you haven't met Hunter, met, dude, Hunter is the man. He's such a stud. Um, he got on to me, though, because when I called him out a couple weeks ago, I said, uh, Chloe Davis, and it's not Chloe Davis, it's Chloe Cook. And he said, it's Cook now. And I was like, my bad, bro. My bad. Um, so anyway, so if you're going to pick up your kid or your teenager, um, they may be done when you pull up. And for everybody that just dropped their kids off and left, they're probably already sitting over there waiting. God bless them. We'll get them here. We'll get them here. El Shaddai. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are both mighty, strong, and powerful, but we also thank you that you are tender, kind, and merciful, that you are more powerful than we can even understand and comprehend, and you are more loving than we can even understand and comprehend. And Lord, we're so thankful that your power and your love met us on that road, God, that your grace had a great collision with us, that our life was intercepted by the life of Jesus, that we were made righteous in your sight, that you have adopted us to be your sons and your daughters. Lord, I ask that every single person in this place would see themselves right now the way that you see them, that you see them as son, that you see them as daughter, that you see them as, as righteous in your sight, that you see them as holy and flawless and blameless, God, and they would begin to believe that about themselves, that you see them as ones who are full of your Holy Ghost and full of power, that they would walk out of these doors. They would walk out of these doors tonight and they would know tomorrow at work I can walk in joy. Tomorrow with my kids I can have patience. Tomorrow with that annoying family member I can be love to them. Tomorrow when I run into that person that needs healing, that there is a power from the Most High that can flow through me and heal that person. God, that we would walk in such confidence, Lord, that we would be burning bright before all men. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful that you're El Shaddai. We give you tonight, Lord. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Church, we'll see you on Sunday.